I mean, what are some of these names, if we're being honest? Like, the Manchester Originals. What kind of name is that? Welcome back to Cricket Central, the podcast where we discuss all the stories, big and small. Uh, I've only got Navod and Ethan here with me today because Pearson's uh, stuck in Parliament House as we speak, uh, you know, saving the country from something. So uh, we all can rest assured it's in good hands while he's there. But uh, yeah, unfortunately, can't be with us today. But very happy to have Navod and Ethan with us. Navod, how's your week been? Yeah, not too much. Uh, nothing's really been happening uh, so far. So very calm week. Yeah. Well, you were, you were doing a, an orchestra rehearsal before, so you always uh, yeah, tell yourself short yeah. that you don't do anything. <laughs> you're probably the one doing one of the most. So, yeah. yeah, that's just in the routine now. So it goes under the normal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very good. And Ethan, uh, how have you been? I remember earlier on this year, you were talking about a soccer team. Are you still playing? Are you still in that? Or has that ended? Uh, yeah, that that that's still going. I, I I think I had soft tissue in my soft tissue damage in my ankle for the last two weeks. So I, I've been on the sidelines, but uh, I'll be back into that tomorrow. So I mean, it's 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 not quite cricket, um, but it's it, it's it's an adequate substitute for the winter, shall we say? And how have you been going? Getting wins? Uh well, we I think we from our first twelve games, we were like ten wins, one loss, one draw, and then we lost three in a row and forgot how to play soccer um but but i think we're back on track oh, yeah right you're not you're not missing pearson's uh um talents uh in this team uh what, what i will say is when pearson and i played on a football team together i reckon we lost every game about 20 nil and it was despair <laughs> as all our all our fathers rocked up to watch the game on the sidelines and watched us lose to 20 nil to oh, no. 35 year old men in in some sunday futsal competition that we entered gosh that was that was disappointing but uh yeah i think things are slightly better now although it wasn't Pearson's fault <laughs> Oh, well, I'm well. sure Pierce is the X Factor player there. Yeah, <laughs> gosh. Yeah, yeah. No, he still tells a story about how he scored a goal with his first touch in soccer or something. Is that what it was? Something like that. That's that, that's when our season peaked. We 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 scored in about five seconds, and we thought, oh, this competition's easy. Then we lost the game twenty-two to two, and then we realised we were in our round. <laughs> <laughs> the game, the games are only forty minutes, and we 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 conceded twenty two goals. <laughs> well, I, I, don't, I don't want to know who was the goalkeeper for for that. But um, anyway, good to hear you're doing a, a bit better in, in soccer now. Um, over here for me, I've been filled with great disappointment as Carlton's season uh, seems to have been going up in flames recently. Um, our captain, Patrick Cripps, now out for the rest of the season with the suspension. So it's all disaster here. After great hopes of earlier on, it's disaster. But anyway, we've got some cricket to, to take my mind off of that. Um, not as much uh, to cover this week um, in terms of matches. We've got the 100 where we're sort of ha hoping a little bit that Pearson might be able to come on. But it's all dependent on, as we say, um, the machinations at Parliament House. Uh, but we do have some good Vox Pops to get to in a second. Uh, but first, I wanted to start off with just um, an interesting piece of uh, news that came up over the last few days. Obviously, the Australian women uh, continuing their absolute dominance in cricket, um, winning the Commonwealth Games final against India. But then it, it came out, uh, big controversy, that Talia McGrath um, played in the game despite... Uh, having a positive COVID test before um, beforehand, uh, much to the anger of the Indians, who I think on on Twitter, um, as Indian sports fans uh, tend to do, they uh, were not happy at all. Um, but what do you think about this one, guys? I think for a country like Australia, where we've put such a huge priority on um, protecting people from COVID and uh, you know, everyone knows we've had some of the harshest lockdowns in the world, all these sorts of things. I don't think it's a great look, a little bit hypocritical, um, you would have to say. What do you think on this one? Uh, it's, tough. it's tough, isn't it? Because modern day COVID is so different in different countries. And it's almost a case of 
you play by the rules set by your own country. I mean, if, if that's in Australia, obviously there's, there's no no chance that happens. But um, pe- people are looking to get out of the country all the time so they can do things like this. Um, and clearly in, in England, things are different. The, the rules are stipulated by the, the tournament regulator. And if you're in the final, you definitely want someone like Talia McGrath playing on your team. Um, might not have had the best of games, but it, it was good that, um, I mean, she was able to play. And, you know, for the Aussies, uh, after the game, they just they just sort of said, oh, stuff it. And then she was joining in the celebrations and they didn't mind getting COVID. So I guess all's well that, that ends well, but I, I can see why the, the Indian fans are, are a bit disappointed in, in that action. Yeah, well, I do think if you put the shoe on the other foot, if it was an Indian player doing it, um, especially if it was in Australia um, at the time, I think there would be a fair bit of outcry about it for for the um, Australians. Navod, just quickly, what do you think about this? Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think we're getting to that stage in, in the pandemic where vaccination rates are obviously very high. Um, and yeah, there is still a risk, I think. But I think we should slowly get to the point where COVID just becomes a part of life. And I think that's slowly happening, but it's not quite there yet, especially in the world of sport, at least in everyday life, it's sort of becoming like that. But I think in, in, in cricket and other sports, I'm not sure what the rules are for other sports, but especially in cricket, I think they're still a bit cautious. So I think it's fine. But um, yeah, obviously, some people are, you know have different opinions about this. So I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think from a medical level, it didn't really, wouldn't have made too much difference, but I just think a little bit hypocritical for the Australians there. Anyway, moving on, uh, we've got some great Vox Pops coming in this week. Um, the first, oh, I've put this in the wrong section here. We've got a Vox Pop coming in from Virat Kohli, <laughs> according <laughs> to this, but um, uh, it was a statement he made nonetheless that we, we can discuss during the week. Um, he started arguing that uh, away test wins uh, in the World Test Championship should count for double points uh, in the rankings, sort of reflecting the, the, the fact that um, it is a lot harder to win away from home than at home. Um, uh, what, what, do we, what do we think of this, guys? Ethan? I think the World Test Championship scoring system is complicated enough already. And I think... We, we need to be careful about who we're talking about when we think about away wins. For example, Australia winning away in India is a, a ridiculous prospect, but you know, performing in, in Pakistan is, is, is slightly different. So I think the, the bonus of winning away is that you, you take points off your home, off your opposition when they really should be safe points. Mm. Um, and the fact that you get the points and they lose the points is, is probably enough, in my opinion. I think if you're playing like low-ranking sides and you beat them away, it doesn't hold too too much weight. Um, and I'd certainly expect Australia to, you know, challenge quite quite a few of the smaller, lower-ranking teams away. But certainly, when you're competing against you know the the top-tier teams, I think if you do manage to win away, the virtue of them not actually getting the points is enough merit in itself. And try and try and keep the scoring system simple for now. Yeah, yeah, no, that's probably true. The problem with the World Test Championship is we know it's never going to be a completely even competition, really, because not everyone um, plays everyone else. You know, it's always going to be influenced by who you actually play in that cycle, uh, whether they're more difficult teams or not. But, Navad, uh, do you agree with Ethan? Yeah, I think the point arises that I think winning a home or away test it's both, it's winning a test, right? I think regardless of whether it's home and away, I think it's quite important. I think the issue with double points is there's no real, you can't really standardize the quality of the pitch or how it plays or how well, or how easy it is or how hard it is uh, in different countries. You can't standardize that um, across, you know, all the countries that we play tests in. So I think if you can't do that, then you can't just say double points away automatically, right? I feel like that is just a little bit too much because, as Ethan said, if you're playing somewhere in Pakistan, whether it's just roads, then you're going to pile a lot of runs and maybe, if you're lucky, get a win. But then if you're playing in, um, say, India, where it's spinning a lot, or even like we saw in June in Gaul, where it's, it's spinning like a crazy amount of uh, degrees, it's it's a completely different scenario. So I think 
yeah, because we can't standardize um, how games are played away and how games are played at home, I don't think double points uh, should be there. Maybe if you want, maybe like a 1.5 points. I think I suggested this when we were discussing this early in the week, but I think double points just makes it a bit too much. And especially when I don't really, this scoring system is completely complicated to me and I don't really understand it, but especially when teams like India, England and Australia play so much more than sides like, and they play a lot more out of home rather than in home. Um, it just makes it a little bit, I think it's just too complicated for the system that we currently have. So I think just leave it as, as it is. Yeah, that uh, I think I'm probably in agreement. And as you say, you could potentially get a situation where if India have um, away tours against Pakistan and Bangladesh or something, if they get wins there, it's almost uh, they've locked a place in the final just, just by winning that. So uh, yeah, I think that's exactly. probably, probably what Virat Kohli is partly thinking there when, <laughs> when he's suggesting that one. But it is an interesting idea. And I think you know, we all acknowledge the World Test Championship isn't absolutely perfect, but probably um, this particular suggestion isn't uh, the perfect fix. Okay, our next Vox Pop comes from Devang here, um, who just who just said Trent Bolt with an exclamation mark. Um, so not much of a statement, but um, what he is referring to is some pretty big news this week that... Um, Bolt uh, was released or well requested um, to be released from his New Zealand national contract uh, so he could spend more time with his family, uh, but also so he could be available for um, domestic leagues. Uh, so, you know, presumably this will mean that, well, he doesn't get picked uh, for New Zealand's international side, uh, at least as often uh, in the future. Um, and seems to be sort of prioritising uh, the domestic leagues over um, his international career. It's definitely something you could see as a bit of a trend um, here, guys. Uh, are we concerned about this? Ethan, we had a big discussion last week, actually, about um, the rise of franchise leagues. You weren't there, so maybe you could uh, you can you can have your time to rant um, now that we had last week. <laughs> well, there seems to be new ones popping up all the time and it's it used to be sort of like a, a couple of countries have them now then it was every country has one and now it's some countries have multiple and you you sort of do wonder when are things going to stop i i think if you're a t20 player and particularly when you hit an older age as as like trent bolt's 33 now and and you say i can spend less time playing cricket and earn a lot more money and the only difference is I don't play for New Zealand, I play for a, a franchise. I think there's there's massive appeal in that. And you see it in things like soccer as well. A lot of the, the really quality players will go off to a, a less quality league in the back end of their careers just to make, make a lot, quite a bit more money. Personally, I don't have much of an issue with it when it's players sort of tailing off at the end of their career. But I think if we start getting levels where people in their prime or the, the best players in the world aren't available for international matches because they're out playing franchise cricket, then I think it becomes problematic. I think we still need international cricket to be the pinnacle of cricket with the best players. And when that starts becoming in jeopardy, then, then I think we're in trouble. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, but, you know, with the rise of the leagues is the question of how can we schedule these, uh, the international tournament so much there. Uh, Navad, anything to add on that? Um, yeah, not really. I think I, I agree with with Prabs there. I think the less cricket you're playing, um, but the more you're earning, I think is exactly what someone like Trent Bolt uh, is probably looking forward to. I think, he, he, yeah, his decision was because he wants to spend more time uh, with his family. So I totally get that. I understand uh, where he's coming from. I think there are a lot of T20 leagues now, so there's plenty of plenty for him to play, but I think um, it's really up to the player. I think um, it'll be sad for him to, for us to not see him in the the black t-shirts of New Zealand's um, side, but um, it's his choice in the end. So we have to respect that. Yeah, and uh, but with Ben Stokes retiring earlier as well, it just reiterates the the pressures on the on the modern player these days. 
Anyway, uh, the next one uh, was one that I sort of came up with uh, here, just uh, thinking back on one of my favourite cricketers, Glenn Maxwell. Uh, obviously, wasn't selected for the Australian squad, in, yeah, well, for the Australian team in Pakistan, but is sort of back in Australia's test thinkings um, at the moment. Um, and I was looking back on his career and how he used to play, and in particular, um, the huge amount of criticism that he received for using the reverse sweep um, in Asia against spin um, and having a more proactive style against spin at the time. This was in, well, 2014 to 17 when he was sort of playing test cricket a little bit more regularly. Um, and, but, and you look now to how Usman Khawaja, um, Alex Carey in particular, but, you know, so many players across the world um, playing the reverse sweep is really the, the almost the number one way to combat spin in many different conditions. So I say to you guys, was, was Glenn Maxwell just ahead of his time and uh, the Australian cricket public wasn't ready to accept him yet. Um, and uh, actually, you know, he, he, we uh, need to apologize to him for that. Uh, it's a tricky one. Cause I think growing up, Glenn Maxwell was always a, a white ball star. He was always the, the big show in, in the big bash. It was back in an era where there were only a handful of players like him in white ball cricket. And the idea of, of that sort of player fitting into test cricket wasn't, wasn't really a thing yet, as you mentioned. I think you, you raised good points in terms of technically that's the style that almost brings you success in the modern era. But it's also a matter of not all, not only how we perceive those, those those technical that technical attitude, but also how we perceive Glenn Maxwell. Um, because the, the second someone who's very good at white ball steps into red ball and fails a couple of times, you're going to get criticised even more than someone who you know has always been in that red ball circuit. And Glenn Maxwell, I think historically hasn't played a lot of shield cricket. He hasn't got a lot of red ball experience. He's always been a white ball player who's had a, had a bit of a dab. At red ball cricket but but you're right I think certainly now it's a stage where if you attack spin if you play these shots I mean Joe Joe Root's the best player of spin in the world and and his sweep shot is is so good yet there are many people who are unwilling to play the sweep shot altogether and it's just like that those techniques will, will more than likely bring you success and I think it, it might be to Maxwell's detriment as well that we're not at a stage in cricket where we have these, you know, selective batting lineups where you bring in players for spinning conditions because that might get brought into the game like it's been brought in with bowling. So you're right. Maybe he has hit that middle ground where he was it was too early for the attacking area, um, and sorry, too late for the attacking area, and then too early for this sort of batting mismatch strategy that might creep into the game. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a that's a very good point, uh, Navod. Yeah, I think um, yeah, Ethan's bang on the money here. I'm starting to agree with Ethan on a lot of these things. So, <laughs> bit of a trend, but no, I think um, we need yeah, Ethan. Max, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, um, I think yeah, Maxwell is definitely as you as you say um, ahead of his time. I think because we're sort of you know with the whole baseball revolution, if you like to call it. Um, yeah, a very aggressive sort of style of playing. I know it's not in Asia, but still a very aggressive style of playing. But um, someone like Maxwell, who obviously, as we know, started, as Prab said, started you know in the white ball scene, um, very aggressive player, um, fabulous strike rate, even still um, in his sort of return to form, as, as we've seen over the past uh, couple of months. I think, um, yeah, I just think he was a little bit, yeah, as you said, um, little bit early ahead of his time and yeah people probably weren't ready for him because yeah back then I think we weren't really used to seeing someone who was a very attacking player play in red like play like that in red ball cricket so um yeah now there's been a shift of the tide um and yeah hopefully I'd love I'd love to see him back in the side in in a in a India test that's coming up so um yeah that'd be good but we'll, we'll see what happens yeah yeah well I was looking at an interview with him actually and he definitely um seems to be in the running for India next year and he said that he doesn't actually think that he's going to play any Sheffield Shield um, this summer but says that's not a problem because Sheffield Shield pitches are very different to India anyway so uh, yeah it'll be good to good to see him there. 
Okay, uh, our next pop comes from another celebrity figure, um, Rudy Kurtzen, um, who, uh, an ex-umpire who unfortunately died age 73 uh, in a crash uh, in South Africa earlier this week. Um, but as well as um, being umpire for 108 tests from 1992 to 2010, he was also one of the great characters on the circuit, um, or so Vast Ship, uh, one of the other occasional members on this podcast um, tells me who uh, Vass is an umpire himself so very much um, it's always on the lookout for stories uh, on that side of the game even more so than actual cricket stories uh, I'd probably have to say but um, I was looking at an article about Rudy Curtin and there was some quite um, dramatic quotes um, that uh, have come from him and some interesting discussion points that he raises some that we've been having among ourselves uh, for a while, actually. So I thought this would be a good op opportunity um, for us to finally discuss them. Um, the first one here, um, he says, if the umpire says the batsman is not out on an LBW appeal and the replay says the ball would have clipped the stumps, why should you have a margin for error? There is no bloody margin for error. If the ball would have hit the wicket, the batsman is out. Uh, so obviously talking about the fact that uh, for um, an LBW decision to be out, 50% of the ball or more needs to be hitting the stumps uh, on the Hawkeye footage. Um, and that comes from the, well, supposedly from the, the margin of error um, of the software. Uh, but obviously, you know, at least from a spectator's perspective, this is very, well, confusing really because you know, if it's hitting the stumps, you think, you know, it doesn't matter how much, as you said, it doesn't matter how much is hitting the stumps, it's still out. So I was actually, I was doing a bit of research after this, looking at the the margin of error. Um, hopefully I can work out what I've written here. But um, so basically with 50% of the ball needing to be hitting the stumps uh, and cricket balls are roughly seven centimetres in diameter, apparently, I was uh, I was reading. Um, so 50% of that, um, which is the amount needed for it to be out, is 3.5 centimetres um, or 35 millimetres. So that's the margin of error in the, in the rule as it is at the moment. Uh, but then I was reading about the Hawkeye software. The margin of error for that is actually less than 15 millimetres so that's uh, a lot, a lot less than the margin of error in the laws, which is thirty-five millimeters. So I hope I haven't lost everyone here with my attempt to do some maths. Probably should have got Ethan on the vod to do this one. Um, but uh, guys, I, I ask if it's not actually the margin of error because that's what I always thought it was. That was how I always defended it to people. Why on earth um, does it have to be fifty percent um, hitting the stumps? Yeah, I will say it was very well done. The calculations of fifty percent of seven. Um, I'm glad, glad, glad you you, you got that right. Um, but yeah, I I always found it sort of perplexing how the ball tracking technology in tennis was so so good and so precise, and yet in cricket, quite literally forty nine percent of the ball can be hitting the stumps, and we're not sure if the ball's hitting the stumps. Um, or, or, or so it was before these these riveting details have been unsheathed. Um, but I mean, I, I, this this rule's copped increasing criticism over the last few years, and I, I do sort of agree with Rudy here. Like you're either out or, or not out, um, and if, if you think the balls, if, if the ball's hitting the stumps, it, you know it, it is or isn't. Um, like I, I do see that the potential issue with saying okay the actual margin is like 15 millimetres and you'd have to, you know, do, do some calculations to work out what exactly 15 millimetres is. But I also don't have a massive problem with just saying if the ball's hitting the stumps, it's out. And if it's missing, it's it's not out. And with the margin of error, that's just part of the technology. Um, sure, sometimes it can be really stiff because the technology shows it just clips the smallest fraction of the bale. But I, I don't mind that because it's actually hitting the stumps. Whereas I think there are times where, you know, quite literally half the ball is hitting, hitting the stumps and it gets given not out when that, it's clearly, it's clearly going to hit the stumps. So I, I think it's a rule that will seriously be looked at in, in the coming years. And 
probably one that that needs a bit of rendering. And you'd say the Hawkeye margin of error will only reduce over time, which will, if anything, just you know, increase the need to make changes to this rule. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Navod, an argument I have heard um, even beyond it being the margin of error is that it's still good to have some sort of um, deference to the umpire's decision uh, on those line ball ones. Do you think there's any argument for that or should we just trust the technology? Yeah, it's interesting. I think it's, as the technology develops, as, as Ethan said, I think it's going to become less reliant on the umpire and more on the technology as it becomes more accurate. Um, I think, yeah, Rudy was umpiring from 92 to 2010. And I think DRS was, at least in tests, came around the end of 2009. So towards the end of his umpiring career. And I think as it's been introduced, I think it's gotten much more accurate um, across the years. So that margin of error, I think, um, yeah, seems quite right. I think the 15 millimeter, it's, it'll probably become um, less and less as the technology develops. But um, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, it's, it's a very complicated scenario, I think. Do you trust the umpire? Yeah, that's the traditional way. But then the technology, which is becoming more and more accurate as the years go on, as the technology develops, um, says otherwise. So or mo in, in rare cases, at least. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a difficult decision. Um, yeah, not too sure what to say on this. I think keep the umpires in, don't get rid of them. Um, I think, yeah, lose a lot of jobs like that. It's sort of like, you know, industrializing everything with machines and you lose <laughs> jobs like that. So that wouldn't be good. But um, yeah, I, I think it's, um, it's interesting to see where the technology will go and, and how umpires will fit into that once the technology becomes so um, so useful and so um, accurate in the future. Yeah, yeah. One part of me does want to have some element of the umpire still there, but at the end, especially on this issue, just as I said, for the for the fans watching the game, especially fans who aren't super keen cricket fans, I've been been with people who have seen the decisions and they're like, "What on earth is going on here? It's fairly hit the stumps. How's it not out? What what is this game that we're watching here?" So, uh, yeah, I agree. I think it's definitely a a change that needs to be made. Um, okay, now one final quote from um, Rudy here. Um, it's going to be have to be slightly edited um, for some uh, some of the language in it. I don't want to have to put a an, an explicit uh, symbol on on this podcast. So, uh, but uh, have to rate rate the podcast like MA fifteen yeah. plus. Yeah, exactly. No, we'll we'll keep it a, a PG podcast uh, for all now listeners today but um it is quite a humorous quote uh, he says i hardly watch cricket anymore because of the umpiring system they're too shit scared to make decisions these days they rely too much on effing technology and you can quote me um so you know that discussion we were having before about uh, the role of umpires rudy's definitely on the side of uh, um you know it, it, the importance of being human umpires there so uh and uh, I think Vashit would would probably agree for that one. Anyway, very sad to have Rudy um, die, uh, but he has given us some some good discussions for this podcast. All right, we've got some uh, franchise cricket news to discuss now, but I'm also pleased to say that Pearson has entered the Zoom call live. Uh, well, no, sorry, not live from Parliament House. That would be quite something, <laughs> but straight straight from straight from Parliament House. Pearson, good of you to join us. Yeah, it's good to be back. I apologise for not having been here from the start. And my voice is still slightly gone, so apologies to viewers if it comes out slightly difficult to understand at times. Is that because you were uh, in a heated debate with somebody about something? No, th this voice has been gone for the better part of a week. It's a, it's a mix of alcoholism and a chest infection, is how I would put it. <laughs> and you were, you were born in Ireland as well. <laughs> yeah also true <laughs> oh that's a perfect perfect concoction um okay well we had some news this week some good news from an australian perspective that david warner wouldn't be going to the uae international league t20 i think um is what it called uh you know it's not officially announced but um apparently 
Cricket Australia has worked out sort of a special pay bracket for international players, for international Australian players um, to keep them there. So that's good news. Um, but they have got some pretty big names in that tournament. Andre Russell, Moen Ali, Alex Hales, Hasaranga Navod um, at this point. Yes. He's going across, although you never know, <laughs> Sri Lanka might put an end to that uh, when he when he gets there, when it starts. But um, we'll see. David Milan, um, Chris Jordan. So it's some big names there um, in yet another tournament, um, which we're all a bit disappointed about. But uh, that's uh, that's the, the news with that one. South Africa's league also announced 30 players, but they haven't said who the players are yet. So not too much to report on that one. Uh, but on the topic of sort of following on from what we were talking about last week um, and earlier on in this podcast, uh, in terms of how to fit in all the different formats, um, there was an interesting article which we all read from Mark Nicholas today um, talking about, he was suggesting that sort of the solution for one day cricket would be to make it only World Cups and potentially a Champions League. So basically to make it as scarce as possible um, and that would allow more time for the franchise leagues um, and other international cricket and then sort of just make it an exclusive product that that is more exciting that you're waiting for more because it happens less often. Uh, Pearson, what do you think of this idea? Sort of almost inevitable, you would think. Yeah, that that's pretty much the line I think I would have taken as well, is it seems relatively inevitable. I mean, of course, we've seen already a quite dramatic decrease in the number of games being played, particularly in bilateral ODIs, at least between the bigger nations, because I think they see both financially and viewability-wise that T20 is the best one for the short-term younger audiences and test cricket still holds the charm of being test cricket. My only complaint with that plan in particular, beyond the fact I just like ODI cricket, so I want to see it played, is I think without bilaterals, one has to question what the quality of those leagues would be. A World Cup, having not had any ODI cricket for the three years in between, feels underwhelming. I don't think it can hold the pedestal that it wants to. I mean, you look, even in England, you look, its domestic one-day league has been compromised and it runs at the same time it coexists essentially with the 100. So you look, every top white ball English player is not playing one-day cricket. If you remove bilaterals, it would mean the top English players who, at least in the current day, are some of the big name players that everyone wants to see, aren't playing one day cricket at any time except during World Cups. Maybe it's financially beneficial, but if we want to keep this ODI World Cup, the peak and the pinnacle of one day cricket, which is what Nicholas argues for, then I don't think we can have a situation where that's the only time it's ever played because it will be increasingly marginalised in domestic cricket by boards. England has done it. Australia play it right at the beginning of their summer before anyone starts watching. I just don't see it being viable that we can have a tournament once every four years and nothing else, and it still maintains its prestige. That's my concern. Mm. And we have seen the impact that not playing one-day cricket has um, in terms of both Australia and England, I know, recently. Um, look a bit out of sorts uh, in how they're going about it. Okay, some other news. Um, India beat the West Indies 4-1 in a T20 series. They had a few matches in Florida in the USA. Uh, Navod, you were quite uh, interested in one particular part of those matches. Yeah, the pitches in the two Florida games um, were just absolutely dreadful. I thought it was like they just put concrete and made a pavement there and, and decided to play cricket on it, put you know three pegs on each end as the stumps. It was just really, really flat. I don't think it was really a quality cricket pitch. I know cricket is quite young and, and novel to the US, um, so that's probably why the, the pitches are in such a flat state. But um, I think really it was just very dead. I don't know why. I have no idea why they decided to play in Florida. Probably to get the game you know, a little bit more spread in the US. That's my only guess. But um, yeah, they were just really flat. The bowlers couldn't really do anything. And although I think the West Indies, again, I said this last week, um, they've definitely got talent. They played some good shots. But I think um, if you look, I think in the, oof, this is testing me, the last game, I think, or maybe the third game, but, sorry, the, the game before that, the fourth game, that is, um, Nicholas Puran was 24 of seven 
and then just poor judgment uh, mix up at the other end and he was run out um, he was halfway down the pitch and you know nothing he could do so just small things like that I think is where West Indies really struggled um, and they definitely have the talent in the uh, in the pipeline they're just not really utilizing it that well um, but yeah apart from that I think the pitches were just absolutely dreadful in that those two Florida games <laughs> there did seem to be a fairly good turnout to the games at least um, although I did think that it was being played in India uh, by the number of Indian expats uh, that were there I think they're the ones propping up American cricket um, at the moment anyway that's that series done the other one um, of some note was uh, Zimbabwe beating Bangladesh uh, in a T20 series 2-1 um, and then they're up in the one day series now 2-0 um, Ethan, some good performances by some Zimbabweans and some poor ones by the Bangladeshis a bit. Yeah, I think I was reading a bit of Bangladeshi outrage at the fact that they're, they've lost this series to Zimbabwe, but it's good we'll have the big fish on our shores when Zimbabwe come down to Australia to play some cricket at the top end. Um, but it is exciting. I think Bangladesh has sort of gained worldwide respect almost in the last couple of years as a, a side that can cause an upset. They're, they're no longer the easy beat. We saw what they did in New Zealand in test cricket. And I, I think it's certainly a significant victory for a team like Zimbabwe who don't play a lot of cricket um, to not only challenge but beat Bangladesh in, in both formats. Um, and, and yeah, you're right. There have been some exceptional performances, notably from Sikandar Raza um, and, and a couple of other Zimbabwean batsmen scoring their maiden centuries. So we'll, we'll hope that they can build on that confidence and make it a somewhat competitive series when they come to Australia. Yes. Well, if there's, if there's two things that we like doing on this podcast, it's having a go at Virat Kohli um, and trying to coax the smaller nations to, to be better. Um, so yeah, a good sign there. And uh, as you say, when Zimbabwe comes to Australia, we'll, we'll, we may get Elliot Cook, the resident expert on Zimbabwean cricket on the podcast. Um, so very much looking forward uh, to that. Um, and even now, uh, more so now that um, it could be a good challenge for the Australians. Okay, well, the other big tournament um, that was going on uh, that started um, last week was the 100, um, which... Uh, well, it, it's in the name is only a hundred balls. The now the the premier short form competition in England. Um, so, just for those of you who don't know a huge amount about it, the first question is: uh, What are the rules, Navad? Yeah, so um, they're all on the hundred website. So, if viewers are willing to uh, have a little, well, bit not all of them. Um, not all of them. Well, not all of them. <laughs> yes, it's most of the main ones, uh, which I'll go through now. Um, but yeah, I think the website's a good starting place for anyone who wants to get a little bit interested uh, in the 100. But I'll just go through uh, roughly sounds, the main rules. Sounds, sounds like you're employed by the 100. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. They've, they've paid me behind, <laughs> the, behind the, the counter. And uh, yeah, just doing a little promo for them. But um, yeah, 100 balls spinning uh, innings is the whole uh, selling point behind the 100. Um, I, I think they could have just kept it with six balls per over and you know, 120 balls, but whatever. Um, so the fielding side, um, in, rather than swapping ends at every over, we swap, we change sides at every after ten balls. And oh, I should also mention, instead of overs, because overs are traditionally six balls, and we only have five ball overs here, so they're actually called sets. Um, so a little bit of terminology to to learn there and remember. But um, yeah, so fielding side changes after every ten balls. Um, bowlers can either deliver five or ten balls. So in other words one or two overs slash sets. Uh, and the captain decides this, um, whether they want their, their bowler to bowl five balls or 10 balls. Um, and each bowler, this is the, like normal um, or kind of, each bowler can deliver a maximum of 20 balls or either, in other words, um, four overs or four sets. So that's the normal rule we have with T20s. Um, so there's a timeout, um, like we see sort of in the Big Bash and the IPL. So each uh, bowling side gets a strategic timeout of up to two minutes, and the coach can walk out actually to the middle of the ground and discuss tactics uh, with their players mid-match. Um, the power play for each um, team is 24, 25 balls, sorry. Um, so I guess, yeah, a quarter um, of, the, of, of the one innings. 
uh, and two fielders are allowed uh, outside of the initial 30-yard circle uh, during the power play. And this is not really a rule. I don't know why it's on the rules page, but match length is about two and a half hours. That's not a rule. That's just a fact. <laughs> so, yeah. True that there is, the overrate does have an impact in that if you go over the mandated time, you have to bring fielders in for the overs that you're beyond that. So there are some ramifications, but yeah, the its description is about two and a half hours. It's a very poor way of describing the overrate laws, it must be said. Yeah. Yes, well, thanks thanks for that, Navod. Um, Yeah, definitely. <laughs> some Probably some interesting tactics you could get with whether you bowl for five or 10 overs there, ones which I probably won't know a huge amount about not having actually watched a game as of yet. But um, anyway, one other thing I would say about the rules is that it does lead to a little bit of confusion um, on the scorecard uh, we were noticing just before in terms of the economy rate of the bowlers. Um, at this point, I've seen three different ways that the economy is being recorded. One's uh, the amount of runs per ball that they bowl. Um, the other is per five balls, so per set. Um, but then also on Crick Info, um, I just saw that they're doing it uh, per six balls. So like as if it was six balls. Um, for <laughs> so that leads to a bit of confusion, having different uh, economy rates depending on what scorecards you look at. Uh, so something that probably needs to be worked out there Navad, you can go tell that to your masters at the hundred um, when you go. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll make it known to the the higher ups uh, in the hundred, yes. whoever they are. I'll, I'll let them know this issue. Yes, yeah, that would be good. Uh, but anyway, um, as well as some new rules, we've also got some uh, very interesting, uh, is one way of putting it, names um, for the teams, uh, which Pearson will take us through in a second. But first, I just had to say, I mean, what are some of these names, if we're being honest? Like the Manchester Originals, what kind of name <laughs> is that? Um, and then, then I was very surprised that um, a Belgian team, um, the Trent the Trent Rockets <laughs> were in the, in the tournament. But then I realised it was Trent Bridge um, from, from Nottingham there. Uh, but then I was even more confused about why they're called the Rockets. As far as I know, there's no a space facility. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I, I think you're, you're taking it. I agree some of the names are dreadful, but stuff like Rockets. I mean, yeah. do we critique the Melbourne Stars in that they don't play on a star? I think it, it's a bit much to suggest that the fact the name is Rockets makes them unsupportable. I, I I do agree some of the names are stupid. The Oval Invincibles, A, is wrong because you shouldn't name a team after a stadium. And B, Invincibles is a terrible name because as soon as you lose a game, you are no longer invincible. And yeah, it was they the didn't lump, make they finals lost the last game season. of the season. Yeah, and they lost <laughs> their first ever home game about a week ago this season. So they're, they're not invincible. I, I agree. I think a lot of these names leave a lot to be desired. But I think that's more to do with T20 cricket being a bit kiddie than anything else. I won't Again, I won't I, I, on the Southern... <coughs> yeah, I won't comment on the Southern also, Brave because yeah, the Hale Jai is their coach. So. Right. Yeah, look, I, no, no names fill me with joy, but they're like Superchargers is a pointless <laughs> name. Originals actually has some kind of meaning to do with their like oh. music industry or something that I've now forgotten. Oh, yeah. okay. Brave is underwhelming. Rockets is too American. Yeah. Spirit is just pointless. I can handle Welsh fire, yeah, but still, the Birmingham. I don't Phoenix. really know. Yeah, I don't really know what Birmingham have to do with the Phoenix, but <laughs> exactly. They, but again, <laughs> this is the nature of T Twenty tournaments or hundred tournaments as they go these days. Yeah. I sympathise with a lot of people who don't <laughs> like the hundred. I must admit, I find. <laughs> It's the whole idea is it's to incorporate new audiences into watching cricket. If you're going to do that, make it a way that's easily transferable to the other three most played formats. Having something where you don't know the terminology of overs, where you don't know how many overs, where you view things in balls, that doesn't really suit yourself, suit oneself to any other form of cricket. I mean, I can't imagine going into a day of test cricket and knocking off the balls from 450 downward. 
Like there's a limit to which this is easily transferable to other formats. On the plus side, the quality is good though. So I'll, I'll, I'll take heed in that fact. Great, yes. And um, so on the, on the topic of the teams, um, if you would, could just run us through who are the big names for each team and who you think are the big chances. Well, it's a tough one, this. I mean, there's, it is, it's a strong tournament name-wise. England of the last five years have been, along with India, probably the two nations with the most white ball depth, which has lended themselves to when you condense talent into an eight-team tournament, producing the strongest quality. I would say on paper that it's debatable between this and the IPL, but they are probably the two strongest squads on paper in the world. It is weakened to an extent by the fact that BCCI won't let Indians play. Uh, running through the sides, the, the notable players, each team has a few notable players. If I'm looking at the Oval Invincibles, I would highlight Jason Roy as the obvious example as the English player. Same with Sam Billings. Both Curran brothers are also there. Uh, in a normal year, so would Saqib Mahmood, who I know is a bit of a fan favourite, but he's injured this season. Uh, Reese Topley is there. For internationals, I'd be looking at, from an Australian perspective, Hilton Cartwright, who had a good game, either the last game or the game before, and looked quite impressive. And same with Riley Rousseau. Granted, Riley Rousseau, I don't think has played yet because of international duty, but he is an acceptable show. Uh, Birmingham Phoenix last year were the team to beat. They topped the group quite comfortably and made it to the final before losing to the Southern Brave, but have quite a consistent side. Um, Notably, the international is an Australian again in Matthew Wade and Kane Richardson. Um, the batsmen are solid, if a bit young, in Will Smead, who looks a very talented opener, Tom Abel and Chris Benjamin as finishers who <laughs> haven't necessarily got international games yet, are uh, complemented by a very strong middle order in which you can see Livingston and Moeen in, I think, three and four they will bat which is always nice to see the top players. Uh, Bowling-wise, Chris Wokes, if he's not playing test cricket, would be there. And Ollie Stone would be the other notable name. Welsh Fire, it looks on paper very strong. It's significantly weakened by the fact Johnny Bairstow pulled out a week before the tournament. But when you have players like a Tom Banton, a Joe Clark, a Ben Duckett, and a David Miller all in your top order, it looks like you will perform. Bowling is a bit underwhelming, but Adam Zampa's there for the Australian viewers. He hasn't necessarily fared well, but he is there at the moment. Uh, London Spirit finished rock bottom last year. Very underwhelming. <laughs> Unfortunately, they lost their coach, Shane Warne, who recently departed. And he's been replaced by Trevor Bayliss, who on the plus side is in combination with Owen Morgan. <laughs> and... I don't know why everyone on this podcast has decided to laugh for those that wish the context. I don't know why that has occurred, but I'll try to force my way through it. Anyway, they now have the World Cup 2019 winning partnership of Trevor Bayliss and Owen Morgan and have performed well so far. I think they've won every game they've played, although I could be wrong. Um, Zach Crawley, the generational talent he is, averaging sub 30 in first class cricket. He makes it in. Um, Glenn Maxwell for the Australian international viewers that wish to watch him. Same with Kieran Pollard. Um, when it comes off, a middle order of Maxwell, Pollard and Morgan is a great watch. And it has so far this season, but you never know if it will. Trent Rockets, another side with a bit of a stupid name, named in part off Trent Bridge and in part off the fact it's on the River Trent, Nottingham, which is the city it's based. Um, again, it's a strong side. <coughs> You feel they're one of the early contenders to win this tournament, or at least I feel they are. They've won both games they've played so far. You look at Hales and Milan, possibly the strongest opening partnership. I know they put on 90-odd last night with Milan hitting 80. I believe that was mentioned before. Uh, Joe Root is there for a bit of knocking it about. Colin Munro is very strong. And the bowling attack also has some notable names in players like Rashid Khan. Southern Brave won it last year. They'll be looking to defend that. Uh, James Vince is in great form. He top scored in the blast overall and is generally speaking a solid captain. And in his first game as a Southern Brave hitter, largely guided his team home with a match winning 50. So I would put them up there as an option. 
Tim David is there for the Australian and Singaporean viewers, if there are any Singaporean viewers. But one can only hope. <laughs> yeah, ho hopefully our international reach has expanded that far, although I am slightly doubtful. But full strength, it's a very impressive bowling lineup with Garten, Overton, Jordan, Archer, and Mills. In reality, a couple of those players will always be missing for international duty or injury, as is the case with Archer and Mills. And at the minute, Overton, who's playing in the Lions side against South Africa at the moment. Uh, again, they did well last year. They probably have a chance of winning. We will see. I personally don't think they'll defend it, but I imagine Navod does. Um, Manchester Originals are solid. Salt and Butler's a very good opening partnership. Andre Russell is good. <laughs> There's no real issue with the side. A notable thing to mention with regard to Manchester is in a similar way to David Warner's refusal to play in the UAE, Sri Lanka handed out a non-compliance card to Wanindu Hasaranga, the top or second-ranked T20 bowler in the world at the moment, and said he must play in the Lankan Premier League and that he isn't allowed to come to the 100, which carries on the trend we were discussing earlier of some collapsing, <laughs> basically an ongoing battle between franchises and national boards. Uh, Northern Superchargers, I know a few people have said they're an early favourite, I don't view them as as good as others do, but they have been documented quite well. Harry Brook is probably the star player. If Ben Stokes were there, that would definitely help. Faf Duplessis is a solid player. However, he is aging. Bowling attack as Adil Rashid and David Willey. So it's a, it's a strong side without being remarkable. If I'm picking the side I think will win, I think it will be Trent Rockets. Otherwise, it really could be anyone. I don't think that Manchester Originals, Northern Superchargers, or Oval Invincibles can win the tournament. And that's my view at the moment, as Ethan has just completely departed from the podcast, <laughs> probably due to laughter. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, um, the London Spirit, Trent Rockets, and Southern Braves all, all looking good, as you <laughs> say, all, all unbeaten um, at the moment. But I'd have to say the... Uh, the performance of the tournament so far, I think would have to go to Will Jacks, um, 81 of 45 for the Overwind Invincibles. Um, he scored very good performance there. Anything that's caught your attention, uh, Navad or Ethan, from the tournament so far? Um, I think so far, I think uh, I'm a bit biased here because Mahela Jai Warden is the coach of Southern Brave, but I, I think so far they've, um, they've done quite well in their first game. I believe it's only one game. They're versing Birmingham Phoenix uh, tonight, actually, so we'll see how that goes. Um, I will be watching because it's at an ungodly hour of 3.30 in the morning, um, so I'm not going to watch that. Just a correction on Pearson's thing. Uh, this is probably why uh, Ethan was laughing, but um, Hasaranga, actually, it wasn't denied. He wasn't denied play because of the Lanka Premier League. That's actually been, uh, because of the current crisis in Sri Lanka, it's been pushed back to December. Um, so he's actually been... Uh, uh, carried back to Sri Lanka because uh, of the Asia Cup, which is actually now being, instead of being hosted in Sri Lanka, is now being hosted in the UAE. Again, what is, sorry reason. to interrupt, but what is the Asia Cup? Um, I think, I don't really know, actually, to be honest. <laughs> it's just, I think it's a few teams um, from Asia um, right. that play. So I think India play, Bangladesh. And T20. Sri Lanka. T20. Yeah, it's T20. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, here we go. Yeah. Afghanistan, Bangladesh, India, Pakistan, Sri Lanka. Um, they are, they are hosted semi-regularly from memory. Right. For yeah, those viewers that might remember, there was a very impressive, in the Asia Cup final last time, Dinesh Kartik gained cult status after hitting about 30 off 10 to chase 35 of the last two overs against Bangladesh in the final. I believe that was 2019, although I could be wrong, <laughs> but it is <laughs> a semi-regular tournament that is played just as a T20 between Asian nations. I want to see a Senate tournament next with the non-Asian sides all playing each other, but I don't think we'll be seeing that anytime soon. The non-Asia Cup doesn't quite have the same ring to it. <laughs> yeah, True. That is a good point. Yeah, maybe some issues with, with that name there. Uh, another interesting um, thing that happened in the 100 um, was on the very first day, got off to a, a great start with um, fireworks before the Southern Brave against Welsh Fire match. 
delaying um, the start. Um, so the fireworks were so big and dramatic that um, there was too much smoke that they caused, so they had to wait for it to clear. Uh, and Navod, as a as an avowed uh, pyrotechnics enthusiast yourself, I'm sure you would be uh, very pleased with this. Yeah, I don't operate the pyrotechnics. I prefer to look at the pyrotechnics. <laughs> I just think it's, I don't know, I'm very impressed by simple things. Uh, that probably comes off as a negative for the viewers who don't really know me, but um yeah i don't know i just really like it just looks cool and you know the, the warmth that the fire brings i'm like i'm like a caveman i just you know like i first discovered fire i'm just wow the fire you know um no <laughs> it's great uh, <laughs> obviously this is probably too much fireworks but um, i think something actually something similar might have happened in the last t20 world cup i remember one of the games had to be delayed only by a few minutes because they started the game off with some fire display and there was just you couldn't see anything like the the live stream or the feed was like just showing smoke and you couldn't see the pitch. So I it's probably a little bit too much, but um, I do wish I was there to see those fireworks in real life. I must, must have been, must have been. <laughs> well, it's good to see you. You're keeping track on whenever this is happening. <laughs> but, uh... can, I, can I just say, this is a testament to why we shouldn't do podcasts after about 10 p.m. Because we started this talking about genuine cricket insight we moved on to talking about how stupid the names are in the hundred, and now we're talking about how fire is warm. Like, people listen to this podcast for for insight about the game that we love, and we're talking about the beauty of fire. Jeez, it's becoming a part of the game. I think yeah. every every even Test cricket they should add fireworks whenever oh, someone no. gets a wicket or something. Nah. Fireworks, I, 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 that concept. I think I think fireworks should be banned. I'd rather like a rush of cold air out of those machines. <laughs> That'd be far more pleasant. Uh, my I'm clearly, I'm clearly triggered fire. Pearson. So we'll move on. We'll move on. Yeah, let's, yeah. let's move on beyond the awful idea of fire. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, well, as um, you alluded to, Pearson, some good performances by a few Australians. Hilton Cartwright, 42 of 23 in his first game. Um, Daniel Sams picked up three for 24 um, for the Birmingham Phoenix. Um, and had another good performance in their second game, I think, as well. And then Nathan Ellis, um, also a couple of good performances too. So good to see the Aussies doing well there. Uh, Ethan, any any uh, thing you've taken from it so far? Well, I think the the most interesting thing is that Owen Morgan's remembered how to play cricket. Um, mm -hmm. The the London Spirit are undefeated in in both games. He's he's been quite decent. I mean, we've got to remember that he retired recently due to. Uh, form issues and I think people don't really dispute his leadership ability so I guess the question must be raised if he dominates the 100 and obviously he's got to displace someone like leaving Liverpool from the side for, so it's probably not that realistic but if he's if he dominates with the bat is he a shout to bat seven at the World Cup with his captaincy ability? Well Good Pearson shit. you're the one to answer that. Look, he's retired. We can't unretire him a month later. That's what you want to do with Moeen Ali and Test Cricket. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't. That's what <laughs> others do. I it's, think it's you what give... Tom Brady did multiple times. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. To be fair, Moeen is different in that Moeen kind of retires and unretires depending on how he feels. <laughs> However, I think with someone like a Morgan, he captained us for, what, eight years, seven years? He's done his time. He was good. He wasn't scoring runs. I thought at the time retirement was the right decision. If he now goes on and becomes top scorer in the 100, he'll look poor for having retired. But how was he to know that that would happen? He was very obviously struggling. He couldn't play a three-match series on the field in international cricket. He was rested from the third Netherlands game. He would have been basically strategically rested throughout the entire summer. Yes, he's played well. It's good to see him playing well, but we can't have him back. That's a step too far, I think. He was great, but you can't keep going back to the player that retired. And that's just, it doesn't look right to me. Yeah, yeah. No, that probably makes sense. Okay, well, I think that's more than enough time that we've spent talking about the 100 there. Um, and don't think there's too much more um, to say for this podcast. As Ethan said, it's a bit like the old broadcasting where after nine o'clock there are allowed to be all these um different more you know dodgy shows on television once we've got past about 11 11 o'clock uh yeah 
all, all hell is broken loose here, so probably it's time to end soon. Um, but good to catch up, guys. Thanks for making your way down here, Pearson. And, uh, yeah, have a good week, guys. Yeah, thanks for having us. Very, very Thank funny you. Uh, podcast today. So uh, I quite enjoyed recording it today. One, I look forward to one. listening yeah. to the half I missed. Come on, you know, we all know that you're not going to listen to it. <laughs> well, that, there's, a, there's, a, there's like a 1% chance. And if that 1% chance comes true, you can be very happy that I listened. If it's like any of other Pierce's promises, it's not going to happen. <laughs> oh, you never know. That, that's slightly harsh. You've besmirched me a bit there, Navod. <laughs> uh, apologies, apologies. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay well and thank you all for listening guys we will be back next week um hopefully a bit of an earlier hour um but goodbye for now